Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. It's um, it's a Saturday, but we're actually going to do um, a second reading from the Old Testament. Um, I guess finishing up what I meant to do last night before. I'm just too tired to keep going. Uh, we're going to do the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 29. Um, and if you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah. So the first thing to notice there, well, I guess we'll talk about people. Hezekiah is the descendant of King David and Solomon, Kings David and Solomon. So he's in that family tree. He's the next king in line. Um, his father, Ahaz, was considered wicked, evil by the narrator along the way, by his deeds that are listed there, as far as idolatry, not being faithful to God. So his kingdom was not ranked very well with the last chapter's reading that we read about. And so now we're on to his son, Hezekiah, who's um, king now. Um, and something I was going to tell you about him, I'll mention that at the end so that we can use it with these readings. Um, maybe we'll use it now, I guess. Um, so in case you're interested in what names mean, um, and because some preachers will use the names to, um, I believe, mislead and um, people, their flock, people who listen to them, people who maybe encounter them by chance, into indoctrinating them into beliefs about the names. So believe what you want about the names. If you're interested in knowing what names mean, um, even your own name, and if you want to do a search about your name, uh, just even out of curiosity, I don't know why you wouldn't, um, you can do it on different, free, online, a, a free source for it, one that I recently discovered, um, is called behindname.com, but you don't have to use that, you can use, there are lots of free ones, but that's the one I discovered, and if you can, if you want something interesting about it in particular, uh, behindthename.com is the website, just in case you're interested in seeing it yourself. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not being reimbursed anything for mentioning the different sites like it or blueletterbible.com, anything like that. They're just free resources that I've discovered along the way and figured if you want, you can use them too. What's interesting about it, before we start today's reading or last night's or today's readings, this moment's readings, before we start them, the one thing I saw um, about that website that you can research about names is if you uh, research the name of who's considered to be God in the Bible, if you research, um, it's hard to research this, the four letters, the tetragrammaton, I think it's called. It's hard to research that in particular and find out what its name means, but if you're interested in finding out what other names in the Bible, including what's said to be Yahweh, that's how it's pronounced, um, no matter what preachers may tell you, there are derivatives of that name, like Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yehovah, all those different names are derivatives of it. You can find it yourself, research it yourself, see for yourself on that website and other names too. Um, so I'd say keep that in mind. And the thing, the way that I'd use that, if I were to listen, if I were you listening to other preachers, say televangelists, um, and trying to figure out 
if they're indoctrinating you or sharing knowledge with you um, genuinely, altruistically, one of the ways you can do that is pay attention to the names that they don't translate. Um, they'll translate lots of names, but there's names they'll skip over sometimes. And they'll do that because they don't want you to see that those names translate to something that's contrary to what they're telling you, what they, they have told you, and that's what's contrary to what religion tells you. Um, so in just in that alone, I'd say check that out. You're just my two cents. You want to move? going to move on now with today's reading. Second Chronicles chapter 29. And this isn't just the only today's reading. God willing, there's also, um, depending on how you look at today, since it's daytime now, in ancient times, tonight would be another day. It wouldn't be a new day. So, I mean, it wouldn't be the same day. But there's also tonight or tomorrow, to however you want to look at it, reading of... Um, Gospels that we usually do. Um, so here's that. All that being said, Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abiah, the daughter of Zechariah. So again, the thing to mention about that, uh, the last thing to mention about that um, is notice that as a woman's name that's being mentioned um last in the sort of genealogy mentioned there. It was his mother, Abiah, that's mentioned instead of his father. Excuse me. Okay. Um, so um, his father um, was Ahaz, I suppose. And, and Abiah, um, the mother, is mentioned there. But Abiah, the thing about that is usually is also a man's name. Um, it's mentioned as um, the priest's name Abiah, as we've read about before. Um, so I guess there are unisex names. And one one last thing about that is there's a little footnote next to that that she's also mentioned with a different spelling of her name as just Abby in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter eighteen, verse two if you want to check that out also. Verse 2, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. So the narrator here is giving us their opinion of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Hezekiah and his administration, saying he was righteous and um, did what God would have him do. That being said, on one last note about the whole names thing that we just went over in verse 1, before we even did verse 1. Now that we see that and the understanding about why Lord in all caps refers to, in English, uh, different uh, names and spellings of them, now that we understand that or have a clear understanding of that, at least as clear as it's to be understood at the bottom, at the end of the day, the reason it's like that is because, like it says about even the pronunciation of God's name, they use the four letters that are that are y h w h no matter what a preacher may tell you um now whether the w is pronounced with a v or a w that a linguist would know but either way it's written that way so that people would not pronounce it because it is considered blasphemous to say god's name in that religion that's why it was only written down originally at least this is their understanding of it uh, my understanding of what they say the 
explanation of it is. It's written down in just the four letters so that the name would not be um, spoken, so that people would only see the four letters when they're, it can be read, so that people would see the four letters and know, oh, that's God being referred to there. But it's not righteous to say his name. It's a, a God's name. It's a sin to say God's name. So rather than write down the pronunciation of it, just the four letters are put there, which are only consonants. There are no vowels. So the actual, uh, per, um, actual original pronunciation of it is lost to time. Unless, I mean, I guess there's one way if you are, uh, if you speak, and even then, I guess it's not really true and accurate either. It's just modern people's understanding of the pronunciation of things. But when, if you believe that God is the one who uh, spoke to Moses in the burning bush, didn't appear to Moses, but spoke to Moses through that burning bush, if you believe that the bush and the fire in it were the medium, uh, not a physical presence of God, which is more believable. Um, and it, it's, it'd be more consistent with the other, with the New Testament gospel that says no one had seen God. Um, um, and then when Jesus says that the when he's addressing the religious leaders, that they have not heard God's voice at any time or seen God's form, um, whether he was speaking to just them or anyone at any time, it's clear in the Gospels that God has not been seen um, by any person. Um, and in some cases, in some instances, that the Gospel has not been heard by people either, except by Jesus. As Jesus said, even when he did the Gospels, no one has seen, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father, meaning Jesus himself, at least to that point. Now, if it's changed after, if it's changed after the crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, if that, if every, if all, all that's changed after that, perhaps that's not really clear. But up until that point, Jesus made it clear that anyone, all who came before him are thieves and, and robbers. That's what Jesus himself said um, as far as finding God. Um, and he made it clear that no one had seen the Father except him. No one had ascended to heaven except him. So no matter how theology or beliefs um, lead people to believe other things, Jesus himself said otherwise. And um, as Christians, we have, I believe, that we take as our gospel literally truth. Moving on. First, um... Um, two lets us know that they believe Hezekiah was righteous and uh, and comparing him in comparison to King David. Excuse me, as we begin verse 3. One last thing. Sorry. Um, so it's knowing all that, understanding that now I'm when we keep reading and we see Lord in all caps, I'm just going to read it as Lord and we'll have the understanding that that's, at least I'm going to have the understanding that that's the um, who the people at that time believed to be God. And um, and then just move on. I'm not just going to keep, I'm not going to keep explaining it. Um, so maybe when we, um, when I, when 
labeled as well. I'll try to remember to include that in the title of it for for future times so that we can just point to it as what is the name of God? And so then we can move on. All right, I love you. We're going to keep moving on. Verse three. In the first year of this of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. So one of the things that Hezekiah did during his administration is begin to uh, repair the church, clean up the house of God, the place where people would go to worship. And again, not going to go into the other names anymore, just going to say God, because that's who they believe to be God. That's the house of worship. Verse 4, then he brought in the priests of the Levites and gathered them in the east square. He's gathering the holy folks, the holy folks leaders. Verse 5, and said to them, hear me, Levites, how, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. So he's going off on them. You see, it's an exclamation point there after Levites. Levites are one of the tribes, the one tribe in particular of the 12 assigned with or given, blessed with, however you want to look at it, the ones who have the religious duties of all the 12 tribes. They were the ones originally given the authority of the religious uh, activities of all the tribes. So he's ordering them basically to get on the job and start cleaning up the temple um, and getting the garbage out of it even. It sounds like it must have gotten in pretty bad condition, although it also probably had faced some wars. Verse 6, for our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They've forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. So he's going off on them, saying that um, the, the religious leaders themselves, the Levites, have slacked up in their duties, what they're supposed to be doing uh, for the people in regards to their relationship with God um, in letting the temple get in such bad condition. There's even garbage in it. They have to clean that even out, is what he's telling them. Um, and also the evil in their actions in God's sight is what they're saying. So they believe they have God on their side, righteous indignation is what they call, and going off on them. Um, probably in idolatry, verse 7, they've also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. So um, among the other things that they've neglected to do, are the religious uh, rituals that are required for them to do in their worship, including burning incense and um, killing the animals, making the uh, animal sacrifices, the burnt offerings, the barbecues. They haven't been doing any of those things. They've been slacking. They've probably gotten fat, full, and happy. They've been enriched. They've enforced a system that's allowed corruption among them where they have the people forced to enrich them. They assign fines and citations to the people. The people have to pay them, or they're not allowed, they're ashamed in public and not allowed to do business with everyone. And it's the same sort of beast system that Revelation talks about rising up in the end. What we call in common English, capitalism, where everything's about the dollar. It's a beast, it's not a 
monster running around attacking people in a physical sense. It's a powerful system that's prevalent in the world and attacks people in another way, in another way that can affect their health. If you don't have money, you can't get health care in many places around the world, including America, especially America. Uh, predominantly, prominently in America, uh, but other things also. So um, he's saying the offense that they've done is not fulfilling their religious ritual duties in pleasing God by making those offerings. The same sort of thing that in modern times, so you're, if you're to believe this is God who's being represented by this holy person going off on the other religious people for not fulfilling their duties, then how can people thump a Bible and say everything from Genesis to Revelation is true and it's inspired by God and you're supposed to be doing it and you're supposed to, uh, what do they say, practice what you preach and all of that. If you say all of that and you see the offense back then is that they're not offering the required animal sacrifices and incense offerings, how can you say that that's true and then turn around and also embrace and say that God doesn't change and God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How can you really believe that that's true? And then turn around and say that you also believe uh, what preachers will tell you in modern times, that God doesn't want any of those things. God doesn't want you to make animal sacrifices. Those are offenses to God. God would consider that blasphemous to make animal sacrifices. Uh, you don't have to do any of those things anymore. How can both of those things be true? When you're seeing it right there, that it's saying God is offended that you haven't done it. And yet those same religious, they tell you still have to put money in the basket when it gets passed around. Uh, but you don't have to do the same things that the religious people are being put to task for not doing right there in verse 7. Okay, we're going to keep moving. Believe what you want. Verse 8. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he's given them up to trouble, to desolation and the jeering, as you see with your eyes. So, again, believe what you want, but the offense that they've done is in not doing those animal sacrifices, and the religious leaders not making those animal sacrifices to God for the offenses that the people have committed. Now, again, Thumpers in modern times who say they're Christian will say that God doesn't change. But then they'll say, oh, but now that Jesus came along, you don't have to do any of those things because Jesus was the last sacrifice. So you don't have to ever do any. Okay, but then that's okay. But then that means God changed. That means there's a new covenant. There's a new testament. There's God changed then. You can't say that that's consistent. That's a significant change. That the one thing that the people are being set off, set to task, taking a task for not doing, doesn't even matter now. Um, since Jesus came along and did otherwise. Now Jesus himself tells us he didn't come to change one jot or one tittle. That means not even one tiny little bit of the law. But that lets us know what Jesus tells us and what Jesus affirms to us in the Gospels is what... Uh, the Ten Commandments, that, those things that are written in stone, not once but twice, to Moses, not face-to-face -face with God, not seeing God face-to-face, -face, but getting the message uh, according to what's written from God, not once but twice, and written in stone, if you're to believe the narrative that's there 
Although I guess there are things that are suspect even in that um, 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 telling of it, the narrative of it, because I guess if you're to believe God is the one that did it, why wouldn't God just zap the tablets and have the words appear like that instead of it taking 40 days for Moses to be up on the mountain where people would probably think, oh, Moses sat there and uh, chiseled it himself twice. I mean, that's the thought that would come comes to mind to me. Um, but as always, believe what you want. For me, as a Christian, I lean into what Jesus says, those red letters, which are not what we're reading today right now in this moment. Keep moving. Verse 8. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell. So there's, he's saying clearly, or at least the narrator is saying clearly, <clears throat> not the narrator, Hezekiah himself uh, is telling them the religious leaders, that the reason they're suffering right now is because they have not been faithful in their duties. And that it's God that who's behind um, them suffering and them uh, being ridiculed. That's what the jeering is about um, in verse 8. Verse 9, for indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. So, um... If you have sons, daughters, and wives, I'd suggest you don't read that verse out loud. If you are, even if you aren't, feel free to do what you want. <laughs> that goes back to what we said um, in, uh, about the power of your words. What Jesus says about the power of your words, for by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. For every idle word men may speak, they'll give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Be careful what you say. I personally in this life don't have any children, wives, sons, or daughters. I don't mind reading that verse. Um, I guess I won't read it, it out loud myself anymore uh, because in another alternative existence, maybe I do. God only knows if you read me before you understand what I'm saying. Excuse me. Sorry, doctor put me on some different meds, so I think they've got me rambling. Um, so forgive me for that. Uh, please forgive me for that. We're going to keep moving, verse 9, for indeed. And so he's saying for sure that's the reason they're suffering now. And not only that, that's why their wives or kids are going through things as far as even being taken captive out of their custody. So this lets us know that the, um, the men weren't all slaughtered. Um, when the in the previous wars that we read in the previous chapter i guess it kind of makes sense it kind of read like only the women and children survived uh because of the wars going on but clearly not the men apparently ran for their lives and saved themselves and still survived to live another day and just left their wives and children behind and abandoned them how awful is that it's terrible i just realized that I mean, because otherwise, who was he addressing here other than the men, the fellows who saved themselves? Wow. Uh, well, but these are the religious elites. They, I guess it's understandable. They saved themselves. No, can't expect them to get their nails dirty. Verse 11. My sons. Wow. Did we skip verse 10? Now it is in my heart to verse 10. Now it is in my heart make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. 
So Hezekiah is saying, we really, really, really got to make this right with God. And so here's what we can do. Verse 11, my sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. So he's saying, he's begging them, admonishing them, pleading with them to do their duties, do their religious duties to please God. God really, 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 really wants them to burn some incense. And <laughs> we got me uh, if all the things in the world that God would have them do, all God is asking them to do, it seems here, is to burn the incense, barbecue the animals, do what you have to do there, and you'll please God. It seems that that it's is it 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 boils down to it's He saying that's what they need to do. Okay, so let's see what happens. Verse twelve. Then these Levites arose. Mahath, and as always, please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. Then these Levites arose, Mahath, the son of Amasai, and Joel, the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohathites, of the sons of Merari, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalalel, of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zema, and Eden, the son of Joah. Maybe that's Zima, like the delicious the alcoholic drink. Uh, and Eden, the son of Joah. So there again, another more feminine name in modern times, Eden, referring to a man. Um, here among the names listed there. Uh, but these names here are the Levites themselves, the folk people who have the religious duties assigned to them according to the previous scriptures we've read in the previous books. It's for them to do those religious duties, not anyone else randomly. No randos can just start burning incense and it please God according to the understanding of the religion at this point in time, at least my understanding of what the religion has for them to do. How are they going to answer? They're standing up as one unit to answer what he's telling them about burning incense and making the animal sacrifices. Verse 13. Of the sons of Elzaphan, Shimri, and Jael, of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Madaniah. Um, I'm just going to keep reading because it looks like it's going to name up some more names. Verse 14. Of the sons of Heman, Jehiel, and Shemi, and of the sons of Jedithan, Shemaiah, and Uziel. So um, those are the different names of the different Levites who are standing up and what it is they have to say. Verse 15, and they gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Oh, so they're not standing up to be sassy. They're standing up to get on. They're going to start cleansing out, cleaning up the house of the Lord. Good for them. Verse 16, then the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kedron. So there is actual debris. It's not figurative garbage that's happening in the temple, like idolatrous stuff, you know, um, statues and idols and things laying around. It's literal garbage that's just piled up in the temple. How disgraceful is that? It's terrible. 
But even, I mean, just as nasty, why are they taking it to the water supply? They're taking the garbage and dumping it at the water supply. At this point, people, humanity would have to have known the understanding that we are what we eat. If you're garbage in, garbage out. If you're putting the garbage where you drink water, how in the world can you have healthy water? But I guess we still don't understand that in modern times. That's considered offensive to the religious right to be considerate of the very planet that we live on, the land, the air, the water that, that we drink, that we eat, that we consume. Because everything we consume pretty much comes from the land, uh, fed by the water, nourished by the air. Just like us, it just makes no sense that people who thump a Bible think it's okay to pollute the, the world. Revelation itself says it. The time of the, to, to destroy those to de who destroy the earth. That's in, uh, uh, it's right there in script, Revelation. And yet people thump a Bible and think it's okay to throw garbage out the window. Verse 7, now they began, I'm sorry, 17, now they began sanctify on the first day of the first month and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the lord so they sanctified the house of the lord in eight days and on the 16th day of the first month they finished so i'm guessing that timeline there has to do with the ritual time that they have to take to cleanse themselves you can't just take a shower and go do it some things religiously they have to cleanse themselves physically with water, but then they have to take time to religiously, ritualistically cleanse themselves to be uh, worthy of doing certain things like handling the religious duties. That's how come those timelines are, are laid out there, I believe. And it takes that long, basically just over two weeks, because there are required rest days, Sabbaths that the people are required religiously to also um, um, recognize and do. And also, whereas the people may not recognize those Sabbaths um, as days off that they're um, required religiously to please God to take, um, they may force the people in some instances to not take those days off. They themselves get those days off. Um, and so the timeline is laid out in verse 17. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. So that's letting us know. About just over two weeks, they cleaned up the church, cleaned up the temple. Verse 18, then they went into, then they went to, then they went in to King Hezekiah and said, We've cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of burnt offerings with all the articles, with all its articles, and the table of the showbread with all its articles. So they're itemizing the things that they did, they've cleaned up there. Um, the table of showbread, we've talked about it, that's the same showbread that they're religiously, ritualistically required to make available on, uh, on display um, by their uh, ordinances that have been laid out since those Ten Commandments were given. And they served a purpose because they ended up being there for David when he needed it, when he was on the run. And then they all, that served a purpose to G, for Jesus later on, much later, to call out during his uh, ministries as something for us to understand uh, in the big picture, grand scheme of things um, during his time, much later. 
Um, excuse me. Verse 19, moreover, all the articles which King Hezekiah, I'm sorry, which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we prepare and sanctify, and they, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. So the priests are saying they've cleaned up the temple and the things that um, Ahaz, that uh, Hezekiah's uh, father um, had tossed aside, the religious articles, because he fell into what we think of as idolatry. Uh, what's called idolatry, what we think of as other religions, that's what he started doing. That's what his downfall was, according to them. His transgression, according to them, to quote them. Um, so they've re repaired that stuff and they've set it back up. Verse um, 20, then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. So um, the king um, has now gathered everyone together again, but um, now also the rulers of the city and gathered them for church. Uh, come to Jesus moment, but this was before Jesus. So this is gathering everybody to the temple. Verse 21, and they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So uh, they're on their duties. They're uh, having what we think of, what we call the barbecue, but they're doing it in the name of God. They're having the animal sacrifices, which people had not been doing. They're having animal sacrifices to one particular entity, the, um, the name we went over previously. Um, and I'm, again, just going to say that as God or the Lord from now on, but with the understanding that there's many different names that have been tried to be the understanding of what God's name was. Again, if you speak Hebrew, even then, if you can, if you speak Hebrew and understand how to say, I am that I am, then that would be at least the name given to Moses when he asked God, we're going to say that's God at the burning bush passage saying, I am that I am. And to tell them, I am sent you. So if you can say, I am in Hebrew, then that's God, how to say God's name. How that translates to YHWH or YHVH. That's, we understand that this, we understand why that that's said to be that way. But how to pronounce it, we are not meant to understand. Because just like I said before, and call my mom and daddy their first names, that would be con considered offensive to them. Um, so why would I do that in the same way I think of it with God? Why would you call God's name? God would you call God by God's first name if you know that originally it's considered offensive to call the God that? And even if you don't know that, why would you call God by God's first name? Because that would be considered offensive. I would think it would be more respectful not to call God by God's first name. Whatever God's name is. Verse 22. So they killed the bulls. And the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. So remember, we went over all those sort of gruesome details before about what's required for them to do. It's not just the barbecue. They have to actually slaughter the animals right there and bleed them. 
but I imagine splashing all over the place um, in certain areas where it's set up to be done. But um, it's basically butchering happen, happening. Verse 23, then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. So that's a ritual there also that people believe even in modern times um, where you can put different things that you're struggling with, what we consider demons, because, you know, people are said to have their own demons, like alcoholism or drug abuse or whatever, gambling. Um, those sort of demons, you can put those on animals. Um, and spiritually, ritualistically, get them off yourself and put them on the animals. Now there are certain rituals that go with it. That's basically what's happening here, at least my understanding of what they're doing here. And while we're on that, before we move on, I'll try to remember to put it in the in the notes. I saw a great movie. I, I love it. It's an instant classic for me if you want to check it out. Aoria does have some offensive language in it, um, possibly offensive language in it, if you, um, depending on who you are, how you, what you consider offensive. But the movie is called Spell. I highly recommend it. I think you should check it out. Um, and it has to do with spirits and this sort of thing here and also and beliefs. Uh, ancient beliefs and modern beliefs and all of this sort of stuff. I think it's great. I would highly recommend it. And it's not even new. I just recently discovered it. And it's available for free, depending on where you want to go to check it out. Um, so um, it's called Spell. S-P-E-L-L. -L. Again, I'll try to remember to put it in the description of this um, podcast of this one. Here on Anchor or Spotify, wherever you're hearing this. Um, verse 24. So they got the ritual set up and they put their sins basically onto the goat. Now what would he do to the goat? Verse 24. And the priests killed them and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. So it's not like people individually have to do these sort of rituals. It's for the priest specifically to do these things and make atonement for, to pay for the sins of the people. And apparently the priests have not been doing this. And so then the people have been paying for their sins in other ways. Since they are not killing the animals to pay for the sins, the people are having to pay for their sins. Verse 25, and he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. So he set up the um, prophets, the seers, the holy people who actually get messages from God, believed to be getting messages from God, the preachers, the religious leaders, in that sense. They're not the ones out killing, killing the animals, slaying them, getting blood all over them, butchering them. They're the ones actually getting the messages. The, they're in the pulpit preaching. Um, these are the ones who are in touch with God more directly. Um, and he, so he's put them in their places. Verse 26, the Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. So the Levites now are set up with the choir in modern times and 
plain English now with the um, with the um, orchestra. Verse 27, then Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpets and with the instruments of King David, of David, King of Israel. So everything set up, the ritual can begin, the slaughtering and butchering of the animals and the um, um, uh, orchestra and the priests and their duties. Verse 28, so all the assembly worshiped, the singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. So um, they're doing the rituals, the music and um, the animal sacrifices. Verse 29, and it says, and it says burnt offering, but again, that doesn't mean it's necessarily burnt to a crisp to ashes. It's like a barbecue. Verse 29, when they had finished offering the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshiped. So the offering is done. Now this may be one of the instances where it's to ashes. I don't know. It's not clear. Verse 30, moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and worshiped. So some of those um, songs that they're singing are probably what we call the book of Psalms um, and other songs that have been passed down are probably what are being sung, but it's just like in church when the choir would sing and the orchestra would play, that's what's happening. Verse 31, then Hezekiah answered and said, now that you've been consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. So they're bringing in the animals for more of these rituals. Um, it sounds like even the people are bringing them, but possibly also the, the Levites, the priests, the religious leaders also. Everyone is starting to bring in their animals for sacrifice and also to donate to the um, religion. They're not all just killing the animals. Some of the animals are being, uh, at least according to what we've read previously, some of the animals are being collected and herded, not just killed and barbecued. Verse 30, and um, collected and herded by the elites. So they're profiting from it. They're amassing this. It's becoming a fortune. It's already a fortune at this point, but people are bringing more to contribute to it in the same way people do in churches and places of worship in modern times. Verse 32, and the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. So this is what the people brought in with them to make sacrifices. Verse 33, the consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. So again, um, more offerings enriching the religious leaders are being are what people are bringing. And all these are not being killed and slaughtered uh, systematically one by one by one and one after the other, just full of blood everywhere. No, they're profiting the religion. They're collecting these. Verse 34, but the priests were too few 
so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. So again, that's, um, they're saying how diligent they were because it took time. It would mean you'd have to ritualistically cleanse yourself. And in doing that, that means you can't do certain things. You can't touch even certain things. You can't have sex, for instance. You can't masturbate, for instance. You can't do things considered sinful um, for uh, to be say, uh, ritualistically cleansed to do them. And only certain people, again, can even do them in the first place. So once you even stop doing those things, and there's lots of different things you can't do, like um, even touch, uh, come in contact with a dead person, or come into contact with, there's lots of different things. We've read about them before. There's lots of things you can do that make you unclean ritualistically. And once you recognize that you are unclean ritualistically, then the sort of repentance begins that if you choose to, um, this is the Old Testament, my understanding of the Old Testament system. So once you do that, the sort of repentance that's set up, not for Christians, again, that's New Testament, before the Old Testament. Once you recognize you're unclean, then you can begin the process of cleansing yourself. And in cleansing yourself, it takes time. You have to do certain things and time has to pass for certain things to cleanse yourself. But in some cases, it's by the next morning, uh, um, by sunset, that's a new day and you're clean. Um, so it can begin that way, but you still have to do them to do it. So, um, but then for other things, it takes more time and other things have to be done. You have to make certain sacrifices, all sorts of other things that we've read about. So it seems some were more um, ready and able and uh, willing to do those things than others. And it's saying specifically the Levites were more diligent in doing it than the very priests themselves were. And the Levites, again, were the tribe that were set up to do these things in the first place, but so also are the priests assigned to do those things. Verse 35, also the burnt offerings were in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. The, so the service of the house of the Lord was set in order. So um, the drink offerings that they're also, besides the animals, people also uh, required to, in some instances, give peace offerings, and then the priests make the offerings, I'm sorry, drink offerings. So in the drink offerings, that can be wine. Um, they're not just pouring all of that out. Um, the animals are not being killed. Uh, lots of them are, but not all of them. Now, wine isn't all just being poured out. The priests are enriched. They're amassing this stuff, and not just the priests, the Levites. They're the priests and Levites are in charge of managing all of this stuff. And it seems now they're back on duty of actually doing these things. They neglected handling all of this stuff to this point, uh, it seems. And also, that's probably not just because they fell into what you think of as, as idolatry, you know, other religions. They also probably had other interests. They probably become very rich, very, very wealthy at this point and weren't interested in the things that got them there anymore. They were just probably thoroughly corrupt. Um, but also other things, not all. I don't want to uh, make a blanket statement. But at this point, they're doing what they were supposed to be, at least according to the uh, scriptures, doing in the first place. 
verse 36, that Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. So the narrator here is saying that the people are rejoicing over the turn of events. And he's saying it suddenly, but we already read this didn't happen overnight. In some cases, it took weeks, 16 days uh, for some of this stuff to happen. But I guess they're saying that overall, in the grand scheme of things, people had a shift, a change of heart. And uh, everyone's taking part in seeking God again instead of just uh, pursuing other interests that uh, life brings along sometimes. That was the last verse. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, I appreciate you joining me for the Naked Truth and hope it's a blessing for you to join me again. Love you. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.